Well, good morning, faith family. Happy New Year to you. Glad that you're here with us this morning. If you got a Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 5. We are back uh, in our series called Set Free. We told you about the beginning of December that we were going to take a couple weeks of a break and then come back and start the new year off uh, with the rest of the book of Galatians. And we've been talking about in this series what it means to be set free, what it means to live in the freedom uh, that we have in Jesus Christ. And so this morning we're going to come to it's probably the most famous passage in the book of Galatians. If you don't even know that much about the Bible, if you're kind of new to the church thing, you've still likely heard a few of these verses. Uh, they actually do put these verses on coffee mugs, all right? So uh, you'll know it, and it'll be uh, a, a helpful passage. But, but my concern kind of as a pastor is this passage often gets taught uh, in a way that doesn't lead to freedom. Uh, but actually leads to more slavery. And so let's look here at Galatians chapter 5. Probably not going to be a very long message this morning. I know you don't think I can do that. Um, but on New Year's Eve, I just kind of have a specific to-the-point message that I want to give you from Galatians as your pastor so that you'll think rightly as we enter into a new year. Let's look at Galatians 5. If you're able to stand, please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. Galatians 5 and verse 16. Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Uh, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. This is God's Word. Would you pray for me and with me now? Let's ask God to really powerfully speak to us through His Word. God, that's our prayer. We're here uh, to meet with you. We want to encounter you. Um, we look forward to these moments every week where we now get to uh, be under the authority of your Word. Uh, God, I'm desperate. I, I have no authority. Um, and so I just want to be faithful to what your word says. Uh, I want to say what the text says, because that's where the power is. So come through your word now and speak to us and set us free. Set our minds right as we enter a new year. We pray in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Are you a good person? Are you a good person? Evidently, that's the question that everybody's asking this time of year. According to an article that was just published on Tuesday uh, in the USA Today, 
And the article, the author, talks about how over the last couple of years, there's been a shift in New Year's resolutions. And the change might shock you. The author writes, quote, At the end of each year, we take stock in who we are. We think about our diets and exercise routines. We wonder if we're frugal enough, ambitious enough, whether we've read enough books or spent our time wisely. We question if we're in the right job or the right relationship. We try to imagine how we can better enjoy our lives. But in the last couple of years particularly, many are thinking less about waistlines and paychecks and more about the things we do and how they matter in the wider world. A Marist poll out last week found, get this, Being a better person is the most popular New Year's resolution for 2018. It was also the number one resolution last year, marking a shift from the previous decade in which losing weight topped the list 80% of the time, close quote. Now, that was fascinating to me. That grabbed my attention. And part of the reason it grabbed my attention is because of what we've been studying in the book of Galatians all this past fall. Namely, there's this desire within us to be better. There's a desire in us to be good. And that's the stuff that we're thinking about this time of year on New Year's Eve. Some of you are already saying this year, I'm going to be better when it comes to my eating. I promise. This year, I'm going to be better when it comes to exercise, and I'm actually going to do it more than just six weeks this year, all right? I'm going to be better when it comes to my financing. Finally going to get on a budget. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to be better when it comes to my relationships, a better parent, a better spouse, a better friend. I'm even going to be better next year when it comes to coming to church. And I promise I won't fall asleep like that family, all right? And so on and on and on and on we could go. Like today is kind of a day, it's a season where we think about how could we be better. I want to this morning as your pastor offer a word of caution. And don't misunderstand me. If you want to eat healthier, I'm all for that. Uh, If you want to uh, be at church more, I got no problems with that at all. But here's what I am concerned about. I am concerned that you will fall for the false gospel of New Year's resolutions that will deceive you into thinking you can achieve goodness. That you have the power to make you better. That's not just dangerous. That is contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if you've been tracking the last few months in this series in Galatians, that's the slavery, that's the pit that the Galatians have fallen into. They were convinced by the Judaizers that not if you keep New Year's resolutions, but if you keep the Old Testament law, you can achieve goodness. You can be better before God. 
And Paul repeatedly in this book shows them the error of that kind of thinking. Let me give you just a few examples. Galatians 1.6, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. This idea that you can achieve goodness is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's another, Galatians 3.1, oh foolish Galatians. Who has put you under a spell? Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. You knew the gospel and you've been put under a spell. Lastly, Galatians 5, 7, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Here's the summary of all this. Paul is saying, Galatians, I can't believe you have fallen for the lie that goodness is something you can do. It's not the gospel. You're under a spell. You are foolish if you think that way. And that is why I am begging you. I am pleading with you. I am after you today as your pastor. I am begging you not to fall for the false gospel of New Year's resolutions, namely that you have the power to change you. Eat healthy. That's great. Exercise more. Go for it. But don't think you have the power to change your life. You're like, sure glad I came to church today. (laughs) It's like the worst New Year's Eve sermon ever. Humbug. Who let Scrooge preach today, all right? But listen, I'm going to give you some good news this morning. You ready? Just because you don't have the power to change you doesn't mean there's not a power that can change you. Just because you don't have the power to change you, I don't have the power to change me, doesn't mean there's not a power that can't bring change and transformation to our life. It's exactly what Paul addresses in this passage, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, look at verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Right here, faith family, hear me, hear me. What if I told you that in 2018, you could experience real change? Real change. But it will not come through a resolution. It will only come as you learn to walk by the Spirit of God. Look at verse 16. Here's why. Because the Spirit, and only the Spirit of God, has the power to overcome the flesh. That's Paul's point in verse 16. I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, if you walk by the Spirit, and I I know that sounds mystical, but we're going to unpack that and show you that it's not. Um, If you walk by the Spirit, you can't, you will not. There's no possible way that you can fulfill the desires of the flesh. Why? Verse 17. Notice the four. For, so here's the reason, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other. In other words, you can't walk by the spirit and fulfill the, the, the desires of the flesh because what the spirit wants and what the flesh wants are in opposition. They're in opposition to one another, so you can't do both. 
Jot this down. It is only, this is what I want you to get this morning. It is only through the person and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can experience real life change. Oh, you can change. It's just not your power. It's not your ability. It's the power of God and the Holy Spirit. Now, this means we've got to address some lies that we often believe. Here's lie number one. I can control me. (laughs) Oh, come on, pastor. You don't understand. I can control my sin. I got this. Like it's a pet I've tamed. Sin is not a pet that you take it to obedience classes, all right? Uh, Sin, the Bible calls, is a snare. It's a trap. It, by its very nature, enslaves you and leads you to more sin. Here's lie number two. I can change me. Not only that I can control me, but I can change me. I mean, how many times have we heard people say something like this? Okay. Now, in time, you'll feel differently. You'll be glad I stopped you now. I know that. I know you blame me for losing the baby. Yes. I know what that meant to you. make it up to you, Kay. I swear I'll make it up to you. I'll... I'm going to change. I'll change. I've learned that I have the strength to change. And of course, we all know that Michael Corleone gets a grip of his life, becomes a missionary to Africa for the rest of his life. (laughs) Of course not! He sits there and says the same thing you and I have said on numerous occasions. I promise, honey, I'll change. I promise, employer, it'll be different next time. And it might even change temporarily, but it doesn't take long until we're right back in the same thing again. Because the power of freedom doesn't rest in your hands. The power of freedom is in the Holy Spirit. Christian, why would you live based on willpower when you have the power of the Holy Spirit of God? You can change, but it's only when you walk by the Spirit. Now, just because change can happen doesn't mean it's easy. Amen? I mean, verse 17 makes clear that there is a struggle. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. In other words, walking by the Spirit means walking into a war. This is a fight. This is a struggle. Listen, freedom is not the absence of struggle. In fact, in many ways, we're set free when light exposes more darkness. There are issues in our life we didn't even know about until the Spirit of God exposed that. So you don't need to think that freedom is when I never struggle anymore. Freedom is often the fact that you are now struggling with things you didn't even know were issues before. It's the work of God in your life. It's not going to be easy. Change can happen, but it's a war. It's a fight. It's a battle. Now, I'm not going to take long to do this, and I'll probably do more damage than good by even mentioning it, but there are some of you, your translations will say, instead of flesh, it'll say sinful nature. 
all right? You can check your tablet right now, or you're on, if some of you that still use paper, all right? Um, the word is sarks in the Greek, all right? Everybody say that, sarks, you know a Greek word, impress people at the party tonight, all right? Just be like, you know, the Greek word for flesh is sarks. Just do that, and it'll be impressive to people, okay? Uh, the word sarks in the Greek means flesh, but there are some translations, and I'm not bashing the NIV at all, but some older translations of the NIV translate sarks as sinful nature, okay? And this is all I'm going to say, and I know it's probably going to be more confusing than clarifying. There has been a teaching that says the battle taking place in you is the old you and the new you. It's like two dogs, I've heard it said, fighting back and forth. There's an old dog and a good dog, and these dogs are fighting back and forth, and whoever you feed the most, that's who wins. That is not what the Bible... I don't even see dog in the text, all right? That's not what the Bible teaches. The reason why that's a concern for me is because your identity is not the old you and the new you. Your identity is if any man be in Christ, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed. Behold, all things are new. I'm going to say it this simply, and then I've got to move on. The fight is not the old you versus the new you, right? Old, old nature, sinful nature, and the new creation. The fight is between your new identity in Jesus and sin. It's not you and you. It's who you are fighting against sin, all right? And that will set you free. If that's confusing, uh, there's a lot of other pastors on staff that can explain it to you, all right? So, <laughs> but because some of your translations use sinful nature, I wanted to address it. Now, back to the text. Paul now moves and give us, gives us examples of the things that, uh, the fleshly things we need victory over. Look at verse uh, 19. The works of the flesh are evident. You know these. You know what they are. No, nobody really has to give you a list, but, but I will. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, that is sins of immorality, sexual sins. There are some of you in this room today that are enslaved and fighting against sexual sins. Pornography, adultery, a variety of different sexual sins. Do you have the power to get out of that? Well, I'll make a resolution. Okay, yeah, okay. Talk to me this time next year. Do you have the power to get out of that, or do you need to be freed by another power? The list keeps going. Idolatry and sorcery, that sins of idolatry, that is worshiping other things instead of God, and our hearts tend to run with affection for other things rather than loving the Lord our God with all our heart, having no other gods before Him. The next list is the freedom of individuality or relational sins. Look at it. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. How many of you are getting along perfectly with everybody in your life? Anybody? How many of you that are married, like, you've never, ever, ever disagreed or had division? Anybody think you can get yourself out of that? Or you need another power and strength to set you free from those things? The last one is the freedom from sins of indulgence. He mentions drunkenness and orgies. That is, good things that are used in excess to the point where they enslave. And so here's all Paul is saying at this point. Okay, I told you, it's going to be a short sermon, and you're like, okay, buddy, I'm timing you, right? Um, 
The first thing Paul is saying is, you don't listen, Galatians. You've come under the spell of the Judaizers where you think this life is about your strength, your abilities, that you can do this. And I'm telling you, that's insane. The only way you're going to experience freedom is when you walk by the Spirit, right? When you walk by the Spirit, because it's the Spirit that has the power to overcome the flesh. Well, then the question becomes, well, what does that look like? How do, how do we do that? Look at point number two, is that the Spirit produces godly fruit. The Spirit produces godly fruit. This is part of the passage that you know so well, right? This is where posters and Christian t-shirts and coffee mugs and all that are made from these verses, not the ones before it, all right? The next ones. Notice the difference, the, the, the word but, the contrast between the former list and now this one. And y'all, y'all talk to me this morning. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Say it. That is, you sacrifice for the needs of others, which is different than living for your desires in the previous list. What's the second one? Talk to me. Joy. Joy is an enduring satisfaction when enduring suffering. It's an enduring satisfaction even when you're enduring suffering. What's the third one? Talk to me. That is a holy calm in your life. How many of you, when you're in bumper-to-bumper traffic on the interstate and you're 10 minutes late for a major meeting, are at a holy calm? Right? I mean, how many of you are at total peace in that moment? Right? You see, you can't do that, can you? You need a power working in you to produce that. What's the fourth one? Talk to me. That is, you don't give up on people. The word is actually long-suffering. You suffer long with others. You're patient with them. What's the next one? It's the, the Hebrew word chesed or grace, kindness. You are a gracious person to other people. The next one? Goodness, that's the word for integrity. There is an integrity in your life and the way you go about the affairs of life. What's the next one? Faithfulness, a steadfastness. You don't quit and go home, but you're committed and you're faithful. The the next one is gentleness, which is the Greek word for humility. You're not arrogant. You're not proud or boastful. And then the last one is self-control. That is a discipline. You're not, this is interesting coming right out of Christmas, you're not driven by your appetites, okay? You're not like, cheesecake, yes, all right? It's not, it's not, in fact, Paul even says their God is their belly because they can't say no to their appetites. They're driven along. There's no self-control in their life. Now, everybody right here, if you've zoned out, zone back in, are these not the things we tend to make New Year's resolutions about? They are. So I want to be good. I want to be better, the USA Today article described. I want to be self-controlled in my eating and exercising. I want more love for my relationships. How many of you, show of hands, would love to grow in areas like those? Okay, six of you. That's encouraging to me, all right? <laughs> I'll ask it a different way. How many of you that are married would love your spouse to grow in those areas? Show it. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand, all right? You'll get in trouble, right? My point is, of course, we read that and say, yeah, 
Uh, let's see. Um, fits of anger, kindness. I'll go with kindness. We all know that that's really what we want. The question then becomes, how do we get it? And, and I need you to be with me, because I, I, the whole kind of climax of the sermon now comes right here, as I want to show you something that I think most people, when they teach the fruit of the Spirit, get wrong, and it will lead you to slavery. Most people will take the fruit of the Spirit, are you ready? And they'll make it like the New Testament version of the Old Testament Ten Commandments. And they'll say things like this, okay, so go be kind. You fired up this morning, 2018 is going to be a year of, of, of more love and grace and self-control. Let's go. And it will destroy you. How do these things get produced in our life? There's two clues in the text. Clue number one is the metaphor Paul uses. What's the metaphor that he uses? Talk to me. Fruit. And he's not talking about little, literal fruit. It's a metaphor. He's not saying one day you look in your armpit and there's an apple. All right? That'd be weird. All right? He's not talking about literal fruit growing on you. It's a metaphor. And Paul doesn't pick his metaphors randomly. He's not sitting there thinking, I need a really good one for these Galatians. Let's see. There's the rock of the Spirit. That won't work. That's terrible. Um, there's the, the water of the Spirit. No, that's not good either. Fruit. That's a good one. The fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, I'll write that one down. That is not how Paul is picking this metaphor. Paul is ripping off Jesus. He's taking you back to John 15, a passage we have grown to love at Berean, John 15, verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear what? By itself, you don't have the power to do it. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he, is, he it is that bears much Fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. That's huge. Now, one more clue. And this clue is the contrast between works of the flesh, that is what you do, and fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is something that gets produced. So one is what you do, and the other is what you need somebody to do for you. All that to make this point, and this will change the way you approach the Christian life. Put it on the screen. The fruit of the Spirit is produced through abiding in Jesus. It's not a list of character traits. It's not a to-do list. It's not a law form. It is a, it is a fruit of the Spirit that is all about abiding in the vine. After all, is there anyone more loving than the one that laid down his life for your sins? Is there anyone more joyful than the one that for the joy set before him endured the cross? Is there anyone more at peace than the prince of peace? Is there anyone more patient than the one who waits on prodigals? Is there anyone more kind than the one who cares for the lowly? Is there anyone more good than the one who restores what's broken? 
Is there anyone more faithful than the one who says, I will never leave you or forsake you? Is there anyone more gentle than the one who came not to be served, but to serve? Is there anyone more self-controlled than the one knowing he'd face the Father's wrath? Said, not my will, but yours. Listen, faith family, the fruit of the Spirit is not a list of character traits. It's the life of Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is the life of the vine, a life that gets reflected in you when you abide in Him. Please, please don't go out and say, I'm going to be more kind in my strength. I'm going to be more loving in my strength. It will lead you to slavery. What you need to do is say, I, in 2018, am pursuing Jesus with all my heart and all my life. And the life of the vine will be produced in me. I actually had a mom so gracious last night, came up to me and she just said, Pastor, thank you so much for exposing that I have been teaching my children wrong. So I've been teaching my children that they just need to pick which one of these they're most gifted at and just focus on that and try their very best to do it. And she said, I just realized I've been leading my kids into slavery. I don't need to channel my attention and affection towards being loving. I need to channel my affection towards the one who laid down his life because he's so loving. And as I abide in him, his love gets produced in me. I'll, I'll give you this illustration. I'll probably get in a little trouble for this. That's okay. It's not new. I want you to think about, for instance, how a child is, um, to keep with the metaphor, produced or conceived, okay? Um, the parents in the moment of conception are not really thinking about the baby at all. Are you following me? Wink, wink. All right. I mean, we ain't putting pictures up here, okay? So uh, you're going to have to follow along here. No, in that moment, their focus in a godly, biblical, healthy way is, is on one another. Their passion is for one another. It's an expression of love to one another. And a, a byproduct of that is the conception of the child. Now, that illustration probably breaks down in some areas, but you get the point. The point I'm trying to make is this, that spiritual fruit is the byproduct of pursuing your satisfaction in Jesus. When you're saying, Jesus, you're the love of my life. Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I, I'm in an intimate relationship with you in a godly spiritual way. I'm not focused on the fruit. I'm focused on the vine and the fruit comes naturally. Fruit is conceived. It's produced in your life. Because you're in love with Jesus. Now, let me give you some very practical things as you start a new year to think about. Now, these are not the things that transform you. They are context. I'll say it this way. You abide with other people by carving out time to spend with them. So how in the world do you think you're going to abide with Jesus if you don't start carving out time in your life to spend with him? Okay? So here are some things that I would suggest that you, that you do that are not what transform you, but they're contexts where you meet with Jesus and he transforms you. Things like 
Bible reading. You got to be communing with Jesus in the word of God. Are you carving out time for that? Prayer and maybe even journaling your prayers. Okay, here's what I prayed for. Here's how God answered it and on and on. Like you've got to spend time in prayer. And how do you think you're going to abide if you never talk? That was a good place for an amen. How do you think you're going to abide if you never talk? Commune with him. Abide in him. Things like biblical teaching. You need to be under the biblical teaching of God's word. You need to be serving and giving in the church where it's not just all intake, but you're serving and investing in the lives of others. Fasting, that's something we don't talk a lot about, but we probably should more, where you're going to not do things like maybe eat for a season so that all your hunger gets channeled towards Jesus. Uh, and then lastly, community, being in a missional community, being in a small group where your God meets you in the relationships with other uh, believers. Those are not the things that transform you, but those are environments that you need in your life in order to abide in Him. Well, lastly, there are four ways that this is going to look. And I know you're like, four ways. I thought you said this was short. And I I will say them quickly in closing, and then we're done. Four ways that this is going to happen. Jot them down. Number one is gradually. Don't don't approach this like a microwave. Okay, okay, okay. So I'm going to have uh, I'm going to have some time in the Word tomorrow morning, and uh, all that fruit's going to be there. It's not how it works, brother, sister, Christian. This is a this is a lifelong journey of walking with Jesus through the seasons of harvest. Highs and lows and ups and downs. And through, through it all, God is gradually producing the fruit of the Spirit in us. This is a marathon, not a sprint. Secondly, it's inevitable that His fruit will be produced inevitably. If there's no fruit, there's no life. You cannot abide in Jesus and not bear the fruit of the Spirit. Write that down. You cannot abide in Jesus and not bear the fruit of the Spirit. If there's life, there'll be evidence of life. If you've not been born again, if you've not been uh, changed by Jesus and become a new creation, um, then, then there will be no signs of life in your life. It's inevitable. So let me ask you this morning, are you a Christian? Are there signs of life in your life that you have been born anew? Are you a Christian? If not, would today be the day where you would turn from living life your own way in your own power and strength and you would just say, I surrender to Jesus. I'm putting my life, my affection on him that he might live his life through me. Thirdly is internally. Internally, in other words, the law can't do this, which is a profound point for the Galatians. You can't approach this as an external thing. You can make a law against speeding. You can't make your husband's heart patient, right? You can't change somebody's heart. You can give them a law, but that doesn't change who they are. The spirit, the fruit of the spirit is something that happens in us and grows out of us. It's much more than a New Year's resolution. And then lastly is symmetrically. That is, you've probably heard it said that this is not fruits, 
It's fruit. It's not plural. It's singular, um, meaning they all come together. This isn't the produce section of the grocery store, okay, where you just walk through and say, you know, I like bananas and apples, but you know, not so much on grapes. You can't sit there and say, kindness, yeah, that's awesome. Self-control, uh, who would, like, who wants that? That's disgusting. Who wants to be self-controlled in life? It doesn't work that way. Why? Because it's not a list of character traits. It's the life of Jesus. And you don't get to say, I want this part of Jesus's life, but I don't want that part, right? The, the, the ascending to heaven, woohoo! crucifixion, not so much. You don't get to do that. It, it is all of Jesus's life that is the fruit of the Spirit. It comes together. You don't pick and choose, which means, and this is very convicting for me, you are only as mature as your most immature fruit. You're only as mature as your most immature fruit. And what you don't want to do is run and say, okay, I've identified where I'm the weakest, and now I'm just going to be better at that. Like, have you been sleeping this morning, right? No, it's as I keep walking with Jesus, that area will continue to grow and develop in my life as I abide in him. This morning has really just been a moment for me as your pastor to speak to you on New Year's Eve. I want you to walk into this new year with the right mindset. And what I am begging, I am, like, I, I'll get on my knees if I have to and plead with you. Do not, do not make a resolution to be better. Be resolved to abide with Jesus. Don't make a resolution to be good. Make a resolution to set your affections on God. Don't make a resolution based on your own strength. Just be resolved to walk with the Spirit. Because New Year's resolutions could lead you to slavery. But Jesus always leads to freedom. And God's people said, Amen. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this passage that in your providence fell on this day. This is exactly the New Year's mindset that we need. That we don't enter into a new, new year basing things on our power and our strength and what we're going to do and how we're going to be better. Sure, we'll try to eat healthy and sure, we'll exercise more or whatever it is, that's fine. But we're not going to buy into the false gospel that goodness is something we achieve. We are going to be free. And that freedom means that we're putting all of our focus on Jesus Christ, that his life might be lived and produced in us. I thank you for that freedom. And if there's somebody here this morning that doesn't have that freedom because they don't know Jesus, I pray that today would be that day where they would trust Christ as their Savior, turn from the life that they're living, and surrender to him. Others, Christians in this room that are in bondage, they're in slavery because they've turned the fruit of the Spirit into a morality checklist rather than a relationship of passion, a relationship of intimacy, a relationship with Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and work in our life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.